We are now one week away from Christmas, and as we continue to celebrate the Advent, uh, as we've been doing now for four weeks, we will finish up on Christmas Eve uh, this coming Saturday night. Uh, we are going to continue to think about Christmas uh, in the light of Scripture as a whole. And you know, some of you have commented that we haven't necessarily followed the uh, hope, peace, joy, and love in our sermons, but today we continue on thinking through maybe some different aspects, some different angles of Christmas that maybe you hadn't thought of before. And so we're going to go today, and, and as we come to Christmas, uh, I don't know how many of you have the tradition, I know many do, either on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, uh, where you'll sit and you'll read the Christmas story, the, the time when Jesus was born, and we, and we go to the Gospels, and most often people will read in Luke uh, chapter 2, and, and sometimes they'll read from the book of Matthew. Uh, I think uh, that, to, that there is one passage, one Christmas passage, that many times uh, is kind of overlooked, because it doesn't have the typical things that you would see in a Christmas story. It doesn't tell you all the details, it doesn't tell you all the facts, it doesn't give us the shepherds and the wise men and all of those things. But today, we're going to focus in on one of the other Gospels, which is the Gospel of John. And we're going to see that John's Christmas story is unique. John's Christmas story, if you want to call it that, is very unique to what the other gospel writers have done. Uh, in, in fact, it's not even just about the, the Christmas story. What we're going to see, though, is, is that John is going to give us more depth. Uh, he's going to take us deeper and further back than anyone else. Uh, and he's going to talk about really the nature and the purpose of Jesus. So his nature and what he's like and his purpose, what he's here to do, uh, and not just tell us the details of his birth or the details of his life. Now, uh, by all means, of course, the, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Matthew, as they do tell us about Jesus' life and about his birth, those are important texts for us to understand and to read and to acknowledge and to uh, meditate on. But I believe we, we need to make sure that we, we get out of the realm of just the facts of Jesus' birth to talk about, hey, this is what happened, to go and say what is the real purpose and what is the nature of Jesus in this moment. And I think John chapter 1 is where we're going to be in our, in our main part of our session, or our sermon today. Uh, the Gospel of John, though, uh, as we're going to see in just a moment, not only does it have a unique Christmas story, the Gospel of John really starts at a different place than any of the other Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels as we call them, are really the chronicles of Jesus' life and his ministry. And, and so we see John actually begins in a place that none of the others do. And uh, if you ever want to look at this, you can just look at the beginning of each of the Gospels. Uh, but I'll just give you a, a real quick summary. Uh, Mark, the book of Mark, actually begins with John the Baptist. We don't even get to talk about Jesus' birth or anything like that. He just begins with John the Baptist at, in ministry. John the Baptist is saying, Jesus is coming. He's saying, the Messiah is coming. And honestly, the Messiah, has, he's already grown. There is no, there's no baby story. There's no kid story. It just starts with John the Baptist and then leads right into Jesus' ministry. The book of Luke indeed does, that's where we normally get the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2, but even before that, he actually begins with Zechariah, who is John the Baptist's dad. He, he starts with him and talks about how John the Baptist was foretold, so now we're going back even further, and we're like, okay, so uh, Luke definitely takes it back further than Mark does. Then we get to Matthew, and if you know Matthew, it starts with a big genealogy, and the, the, the genealogy of Matthew really begins, in a sense, with Abraham. 
So yes, he's going to tell the story of what happens when Jesus is born, but he goes all the way back to Abraham uh, and, and really tracks through uh, the genealogy of Jesus through that time. Uh, you could even say, going back to Luke, there is another point, not right at the beginning of Luke, where he goes, he gives a genealogy that goes all the way back to Adam. And you're thinking, okay, so these guys are going back further and further and further. Well, we get to John, and John goes back the furthest of any of them. John goes back all the way, and we see in the very first three words of John chapter 1, in the beginning. In the beginning, before anything was that is, Jesus, what we're about to see, is there. And so he takes us all the way back to the very beginning. Not the beginning of Jesus' life, not the beginning of uh, the New Testament, but he takes all the way back to the beginning of all things. And so as we look at it today, I'm hoping what we're going to see is that as John goes back that far, there's got to be a reason. And as I already said, the reason will be to show us the nature and purpose of Jesus coming. And so... As I said, we're going to be in John 1, 1 through 14 in just a moment. But as we read this passage, I want you to be thinking about this and looking for this, and then we'll, we'll break it down. Because this goes all the way back to the beginning, as such, John links God's creation of the world to the coming of Jesus. I think we're going to see a link today between the very beginning of the creation of all things and the beginning of the new creation, which is Jesus. We're going to see that John is making a very clear parallel all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 1 begins in the beginning. And so we're going to be looking today at three words, three concepts that really help us to understand that John 1 is a reflection of Genesis 1 and 2 really and that John will indeed link creation with Christmas. We're going to go all the way back, look at creation and understand how that then applies to Jesus. And so that's where we'll be today if you follow along with us. So we're going to start this morning by looking at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. So John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, these will not be on the screen, so if you have your Bible or another way to read the the word, open that up now. John 1, 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, And his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That really, in verse 14, really is the whole encapsulation of the Christmas story, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And a couple weeks ago, Pastor Justin already took a great uh, great time to look at the idea of Emmanuel, God dwelling with us and in us. And so I'm not going to dwell on that part as much as looking at some other words we see throughout verses 1 through 14 that draw our attention back to creation. And then what my hope is by the time we're done today, we will see that indeed Jesus as the Messiah is bringing a new creation, not only to our lives, but to the world around us. 
And so let's look at the first word we see. Uh, and the first word, or the first link, is word. Okay, the word word. I know, that's confusing. But we're talking about the word word. Uh, the Greek word logos would be what, would it, what this word is. And we see that happening right here in John chapter 1. Uh, and right off the beginning, uh, it says... Uh, in the beginning was the word. And so we see that, the, and then the word is developed throughout the, uh, the chapter of, of John, the first chapter of John. But we also need to understand how the word is used even back to Genesis. So first of all, let's talk about what the word word means. Now, many times we think the word word is just a word, right? Okay, so I know I'm using the, the words a lot. So, but here's the idea, the logos, the word, how people would have seen that in the day that John is writing this is two primary ways. The Jewish audience that would have no doubt been reading John uh, understood that the word logos or word to really talk about God's perfect revelation of himself. God's perfect revelation of himself. It's not just about what he speaks, but it's his perfect revelation. It's what he shows us to be true about him. That is his word. And so the Jewish understanding throughout the Old Testament, you will see God's word linked to God's movement, God's speaking, God's nature, who he is and what he does and how he shows that to his people. And so Jewish people would have said, okay, the word of God means we're talking about God's perfect revelation of himself. Now, at the same time, the Greeks were using the same word, and, and since the Greeks were uh, a rationalistic society, in other words, they were looking for everything to be figured out according to logic and rationality, they decided that the word word, really what they're talking about is it's the law of reason that controls the whole world. It's the thing that makes everything run. Now, I find it very interesting that then John would use this word uh, to call Jesus, and we're going to see in a minute that, yes, Jesus is this word that he's referring to, uh, that he uses this to show us, I think both of these things are true, that Jesus will be God's perfect revelation of himself, which is obviously true. He is God himself in the flesh, which we see in verse 14. But also, because he's going to talk about the fact that the word was there to create the whole world and sustain the whole world, that in a very real sense, even though the Greeks thought this 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 wisdom or this reason that held the world together was a impersonal force, we're going to see that, no, it's a real person, Jesus himself. And so, uh, by the way, and then before we uh, go on, I just want to make sure we do understand. We say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. At this point, it doesn't say that it's Jesus. Uh, so we could say that John is talking about some other Word. But as you go on, you see it become very, very clear in verse 14, which we've already said. And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is over the only Son of the Father. Right there, we know John is saying the Word is the Son of God. The Word is Jesus. And so he's going to say right off the bat that this Word is God's perfect revelation of himself that controls everything about this world. That's a big word for us to understand as we think about the word, Word. It's important that when Jesus is called the Word, we don't just think, okay, that's just a weird thing that John says. There's a purpose to it. That he is the divine, perfect revelation of God, and he is the thing that holds, he is the person that holds all things together. And so we got to understand that even as we go to this, as we talk about this first link that John uses by calling Jesus the Word, it does go back to creation. Remember we said that we're going to see how this connects to creation. Now, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, and I won't, we're not going to read the whole chapter today because it would take too much time, but take some time at some point to go to Genesis chapter 1. It's the story of how God created everything that we have and everything that we know. 
And in that story, it's very interesting, we see the word of God in creation becoming very, very clear. In fact, every single day when God is creating, how it starts, it doesn't say, and God made or God did this. It says, and God said, let there be blank. God said, let there be blank. So whether it's light or whether uh, it is vegetation or whether it's the sun and moon, whatever he's creating in all those six days, it says, let there be, he says his word. Actually, in, in ten times, just in chapter one, and God said, or something very similar to that, either but God said, and God said, for God said, whatever, but that statement is made ten times in the first chapter of Genesis. We see that the world was created by the word of God. God's words created the world we live in, created everything we know. God's word did that. Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 11.3, and this will be up on your screen, but Hebrews 11.3 also tells us about this as we go to the New Testament. As the writer of Hebrews is trying to help us to understand who God is and who Jesus is, he says in verse 3 of Hebrews 11, By faith we understand that the universe was cr- created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So the writer of Hebrews makes it very clear, as we go back to Genesis chapter 1, that it's the word of God. As he speaks things into existence, they are created. Now I want you to hold on to that and remember that it was the word of God that created the world. And then see how John uses that to really show us who Jesus is and what he's doing. Because not only do we see the word of God in creation, but yes, we do see the word of God is Jesus. The word of God is Jesus. We've already looked at uh, verse 14 where we see this, this word is the one who comes to take on flesh. When he became a baby, when he, uh, was, when he was conceived in Mary and then, be, then, was, then is born and he becomes a human. At that point, he has taken on flesh. The word becomes flesh and he shows God to the world. That's what John says in verse 14. So we understand that the word of God is Jesus, but let's look at some things about the word of God. So let's go back to just Verses 1, 1 through 3, if you want to listen along. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All right, so we're going to just stop there and look at these first three verses. We see a couple things about Jesus as the Word. The first thing we see is that Jesus as the Word has eternally existed. It says here that the Word was with God. The idea of this is not that there's two separate entities that are there, but the idea is with God is pointing us to the fact that he is from all the way back to when there was nothing but God. So in other words, he is eternal. He was with God. The word is with God. So it's, he is eternal. He will ever be, he was ever, he has ever been, and he ever more will be. He is the eternal God. He is eternal. And that's why the word is with God. But then not only do we understand that he is with God in eternity, but also then we turn and it says, and the word was God. This, as you're going to see, if you read the book of John, and I would encourage you even to do that this Christmas season, the book of John makes it very, very, very clear that what Jesus, who he is, he makes it very clear that he is God himself. The amount of I am statements that you see in the book of John, the amount of times he says I and the Father are one, we will see that there's no question that Jesus is claiming that he is God because he is. And so we know that that is happening throughout the book of John, and it starts right here in the very first couple verses. It says, the word was with God and the word was God. We see that Jesus has eternally existed and is completely equal with the eternal God. 
We see that to be true and we need to understand that. The baby that was born on Christmas is not just a a human baby that came to live a good life and, and be an example for us, but it's God himself taking on flesh, becoming a person so that he could one day die for our sins and rise again from the dead. He needed to do that. That was what he did. This is not just a, a, a human baby that lived a good life. There's lots of good religious leaders out there, but all they are, and I say good religious leaders, meaning just that they're religious leaders that people might look up to or respect, but they're wrong and they're not, they're not eternal. They're not God. And so that's the point that John is making here about Jesus as the word. As we continue to think about Jesus as the word, he goes on and says, Jesus, as the eternal and divine word of God, is the agent of creation. He's the agent of creation. Now, this is very interesting. Remember, the, what created the world? The word of God. As he spoke, as we're told, and God said in Genesis. So his word was, was creating. And so now, John is called Jesus the Word, and then he makes this connection to Genesis by saying, by the way, Jesus was the one who was the agent of creation. Notice what he says here. Uh, Again, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus was not only eternal and God himself, he is the creator God. The creator God is going to become a part of his creation. Don't lose that. The creator God who created it all is going to become part of his creation he's going to come down into what he created and live amongst it that is what he's going to do we see this also we see this clearly seen in even the new testament as well in other places as we move on let's look at hebrews 1 1 through 3 hebrews 1 1 through 3 as it talks about jesus and his agency and creation long ago and many times and in many ways god spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in his last days He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, and it would go on. But notice what we see in this passage as we've talked about Jesus being the eternal and divine word, right? That is seen here. Even the fact that we're talking about God speaking through Jesus, that is how he's speaking to his people. He is the word of God. Keep that in mind, the the perfect revelation of God and who he is. And we see that in verse 3. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. There is, he is, he is equal. He is completely equal to God because he is God. That is the whole point. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of nature. And watch what he does. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. It's all about word. It's all about God's revelation. And not only did it create the world, as we see earlier uh, in, uh, in verse 2, where it says that he appointed the heir of all things through whom he created the whole world. Not only did he create the world, but he sustains the world. We see that to be true of Jesus, the word of God. And again, in Colossians 1, 15 through 16, we see the same idea. Again, in Colossians 1, 15 through 16, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Because God, Jesus is God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We see God through Jesus because he became flesh and dwelt among us. That is the understanding that that John is trying to draw us back to the book of Genesis, back to creation, to understand that Jesus is the agent of creation, that he is the word of God that's been there from the very 
beginning. And as we've already seen then, this same Jesus who created the world and sustains the world became flesh. The The perfect revelation of God became visible through human flesh, as we saw again in verse 14. But again, there's another verse that would go along with this. Uh, actually, no, we, there isn't. I'm sorry. I got ahead of myself. Uh, so we are, so the idea here is Jesus, the Word of God became flesh. The revelation of God became visible through human form. We see that to be true. We just saw that in Colossians 1, 15 and 16. As he comes, he is the creator God. And so we understand, first of all, that first word, the first link that John uses is the link word. So he's saying that Jesus is the word, and that reminds us back to the words of God that created the world. So there's a creation motif here. There's a creation understanding. What is going on? There's a connection that John is making all the way back to creation as he says, Jesus is here. Jesus has come in his creation. He's become flesh to dwell among us. But then there's another link we see in the, in the book of John. Another link is the word life. Another link is the word life. Notice after verses 1 through 3, it says this, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. All right, so this is very clear. He says right off the bat uh, that, okay, so Jesus, who is eternal, who is equal to God, who is at the beginning before all things, uh, who went through which everything was made, he brings life. In him was life. Because he's the creator, he brings life. So let's think about Genesis 1 and 2. So we go through the book of Genesis 1 and 2, and what we see very clearly is that God creates life, right? Everything that is alive is created by God. He is the creative source of all life in this world. All life in this world is created by God. Life does not create itself. There's nothing that can create life other than God himself. He creates life. He preserves life. That's what God does. But not only just in the sense that he created things to live, but we also see in Genesis 2-7, we're specifically told how God then formed man, mankind. In Genesis 2-7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. See, in Genesis 2-7, it's very clear who is the life giver. It is God himself. And now John says Jesus is life. In him was life. And what we'll see throughout the rest of the book of John, Jesus not only was life then, but he's life now. And the point of all of this is to point us back again to the creator who created life is now the savior who will bring eternal life. And that's what we'll see as we move on. So the life in creation we see very clearly. Life in Jesus here then. Life in Jesus is seen in verse 4 as I already read. The creator of physical life is also the author of eternal life. So we're going to look, we're going to just spin through some verses here real quickly. Um, We're going to see what the Bible has to say about this very sense of the fact that Jesus brings life. All right, so let's, so join with me up up on the screen and we're going to run through these pretty quick. John 5, 26, staying right in the book of John. John 5, 26, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Again, life of God is in Jesus. Then moving on to John eleven twenty five through 26. You remember this is in the middle of the Lazarus story where Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead, really to literally bring life to the dead. And we see in verse 25 what Jesus says. It says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You see, John is continuing to point out what he started to show us way back here in John chapter 1, verse 4, in him was life. And he shows us what that eternal life looks like. It continues in John 14, 6. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Notice in this verse, it doesn't even just say that Jesus brings life or gives life, but it says that Jesus is the life. To have eternal life, you have to have Jesus, which gets us then to 1 John. So now we're, we're in the same author, different book, but 1 John 5, 11 and 12. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It becomes very, very clear as we see these verses throughout John and then 1 John that Jesus is the creator. Yes, he's eternal. He's from the beginning and he gives life, but not just physical life that will end, but he gives eternal life that will go on forever and ever and ever. And as we look through the book of John, it's going to come as we have faith in Jesus and what he's done and who he is. And as we have that faith, he gives real life. And no, death can't take that away from us. Death can take like physical life away. It does. Every day we see people dying. But death cannot defeat the life that Jesus brings, which is eternal life to those who believe in him. You can even look at John 3.16. You know, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. There's so many more verses we could look at even through the book of John. And I, again, would encourage you, look at the book of John. See this happen. Jesus is life. Jesus is God, and he brings and gives life. And not only does he bring and give it, he is life. If you want life, you need to have Jesus. You need to know Jesus. You need to embrace Jesus. You need to receive him. Which actually is even said here in John chapter 1, if you think about it. In John chapter 1, remember the receiving part is here. Uh, It says, whoever uh, received him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, to be reborn, in verse 13, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But let's look at the third link. Third link that John makes back to creation. We've seen that he talks about the word. Jesus is the word, okay? And the, the word of God created the world. He talks about life, just like life was created, physical life. So now Jesus brings eternal life. We see that very clearly. And now the last word that John uses that that draws right back to the beginning of Genesis is the word light. Link three is light. So let's first of all look at the light of creation. Okay, the light of creation. Um, so uh, we see this, first of all, in, in, in John, we do see, in him was life, and this life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then we see that John comes to bear witness of the light. And then Jesus in verse 9 is called the true light. Uh, so we see again and again and again this word light is coming up. And what is the point? The point is that Jesus is bringing light to the darkness. Well, it goes all the way back to Genesis. Think back to the book of Genesis and you'll understand that Genesis, uh, in Genesis 1, 2 through 4, as we read it, uh, Genesis 1, 2 through 4, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. So all the way back in Genesis, we see the very first thing that God creates in the days of creation is light. 
Let there be light, and there was. And now John calls Jesus the light. Not just the light, but the true light. You see, this was light that we see. We, we have light here. Look around. We see all the lights. It's beautiful when you come to Christmas time because you can see lights everywhere. Everybody's lit up their house. And it gives life and it gives so much hope and just to see light even in our world. But the true light is Jesus. The one that will bring light into the darkness of sin and death and all the, the, the curse that came because of sin. Jesus is going to be the light that is going to illuminate the darkness. And so... We see in Genesis 1, 2 through 4, there was, it went from darkness to light because God spoke there to be light into the world. And now the light of Jesus, as we see in verses 4 through 10, as I've just kind of pointed out here, there is so much about light here. So let's look at a couple different things. First of all, we see that Jesus is the light of eternal life in the darkness of fallen creation. He is the light of life in the, in the darkness of what now has been fallen creation. Because it says here, In verse 5, the light shines in the darkness. Jesus came into the darkness to light it up. He entered the darkness to bring light. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a place where you've been in complete darkness. But there's so much to spare and worry and so much fear there. Jesus walked into that and lit it up. And that's what we can understand about Jesus. He is the light. He came into the darkness of a fallen creation. And so we see that he indeed is life. And we see that again in the book of John as we go on. Let's go to John chapter 8. John eight twelve, And this is what Jesus says of himself in John eight twelve, And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, Jesus says, not I'm going to give you light. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The light that he brings gives life. That is the light that Jesus brings. Then we see next in, this, in the section of John 1, we see that John the Baptist testified about this. So John the Baptist comes in and points people to the light, says, hey, the light is here, go to the light. But he says, John wasn't the light, the true light is Jesus, who gives light to everyone, and he is coming into the world. Jesus is the true light that can bring the world out of darkness. Jesus is the only light that can truly bring the world out of darkness through himself. The creator God who has been here from the beginning is the light that can light up the darkness. John 12, 35 through 36. And he, again, Jesus talking to uh, his his people, talking uh, talking about himself, says this. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Jesus is telling them he's not going to be here forever. And so they need to become sons of light. They need to know him as the light. They need to believe in the light. Because one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Think about that. There is no direction for people who are in darkness. This world who is just, it's blanketed in darkness and sin and death and despair and depression and all of those things. They have nowhere to go. They have no path to follow because they have no light to light their way. Jesus is that light who will light the way for us. By knowing and trusting and believing in him, we become sons of light. And the darkness that we live in, we also bring light to, not because we are lights in our ourselves in the sense that we, we can produce it, but because God himself is in us and his light is seen through us. 
And so Jesus says, the light is, is, is leaving, but trust and believe in the light so that you can become sons of the light. And finally, we see in 1 John that some people choose to remain in darkness. Some people choose to remain into darkness. It says in verse 10, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So we see here, very clearly, there are some people who would choose to be in darkness rather than light. And so, even though Jesus comes as the light of the world, we still have to receive that light. That's what First John says, or John says here. And so we understand that, yes, Jesus is the light. Jesus is the one who can light the darkness. But there's still a responsibility that we have to believe in the fact that he truly will light up the darkness. And not succumb to the darkness and believe in the darkness and live in the darkness, but to live in the light, as he just said, even in John 12. We actually see this again in John 3.19. I, I, missed, I skipped over this, but John 3.19 says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So why is it that people here do not trust in the light? The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil, because people want to do what they want to do. They think that that's the way the world should live. Sometimes we do the same thing. We think that somehow darkness is good, but it's not. Darkness is not good. Light is good. And so we trust in Jesus. That is the point. We receive Jesus. As John 1.12 continues to remind us, John 1.12 again, let's go back there. After it says some people did not receive him, and yes, this is the Jewish people, but many others, but... The Jewish people did not receive him, but then he says, but to all who did receive him, for all of those who receive the eternal God who is there from the beginning, who created all things, who, is, who brings eternal life, who gives light, who, for those who will receive that, who receive the light, who believed in his name, and that's how we receive it. We believe in Jesus. And when it says we believe in his name, it's not that just we believe that his name was Jesus. Okay, we believe in everything he is and everything he stands for. That is the point. So we believe that Jesus is the life. We believe that Jesus is the light. We'll go on to see that Jesus is going to give his very life for us to bring forgiveness of sin. He's going to rise again to defeat sin and death. We're going to see all of that happen in his life. But as we think about Christmas and creation and how all of this plays together, we understand here that the point is to receive that light, to receive the light and life that has been offered to know God himself, the eternal God who has made all things, we need to believe in his name. And then when we believe in his name, we become the children of God. We are reborn in verse 13. We are born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, there is a spiritual rebirth that happens in our life that brings the life and light that we have desired, that we need from Jesus. And that happens because Jesus came into the world. And in verse 14, that all happens because the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That is Jesus He is the one who saves us if we receive him by believing in his name. We become his children. We are reborn. Now, as you think about rebirth, think about birth, right? What do we call it when babies are born? We call it procreation, right? Creation's right there in the word. So, again, we see John hearkening all the way back to the creation of the world. Now there's a new creation of the babies. We're being reborn, right? So there's a rebirth 
There's procreation happening. There's real creation happening, but it's spiritual creation of a new person and a new being because we know Jesus. And that's where we're going to kind of just quickly jump over to look at some implications this morning. Implications, you can call it a conclusion. Don't get too excited just because it's a conclusion doesn't mean it's almost over. So implications... um, it is almost over, I think. Uh, so, implications today, though, then if we think about all of what we've talked about in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, we see, first of all, as God created physical life, all the way at the beginning, Jesus recreates spiritual life. He brings a new creation. So, as God created physical life, Jesus creates spiritual life, and we just saw it in the new birth. By the way, remember, John chapter 3, one of the most famous passages of Scripture, John 3.16 is within that. If you know the story of that, and if you don't, go back and read John 3, but it's Nicodemus, the Pharisee, who comes to Jesus and asks, how can I have eternal life? What can I do? How does this work? And Jesus says to him, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, that's impossible. I can't be born again. I can't physically go back into my mother's womb and come back out. That's not how this works. And Jesus says, I'm not talking about physical birth. I'm talking about spiritual birth. You need to be reborn spiritually. You need to have be born again. A new creation, not according to flesh, but according to God's spirit. So we see that happen in John chapter 3, and it's an extension of what we just saw in John chapter 1. That yes, the creator God now creates a new life in us, a new spiritual life as we are born again. In fact, 2 Corinthians will tell us more about this as well as we go on through the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 19. Love this passage. It talks about the difference between flesh and spirit, but let's see what it says. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 19. From now on, therefore, we, re- we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we, are once regarded, we once regarded Christ as according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us a message of reconciliation. These verses talk about we once regarded Christ as flesh. I mean, you think about it just, we, uh, before we know Jesus, we just think, oh, he's just some guy. He's just some man that came, and sure, he was born, we celebrate his life, but when we understand that, no, there's so much more to Jesus, he is God himself, he is, uh, he is not just a physical being, but he is God himself, we understand that, and then we see in verse 17, when we understand that, if anyone is in Christ, if we have received Christ, if we have received Christ through believing in his name, if we can do that, if we do that, then we are what? A new creation. There's no way to say it other than that. We are a new creation. We are new. Now, obviously, when you came to know Jesus, it's not like you, you trusted in Jesus and the next day you woke up and you were uh, six inches taller, uh, you were uh, you know, 20 pounds lighter, uh, you had a different skin color, and your hair turned, uh, and you were bald. Okay? That, you didn't get recreated that way. So when it says a new creation, it's not as if that we're getting created physically new, but what, what's happening is our, our spirit is being renewed and changed and recreated so that we can love God and love others the way that he calls us to. There is a truth that we understand at Christmas time that the God who came to this earth also, as Pastor Justin so greatly a couple weeks ago talked about, has come into come to be with us and in us, and as that happens, we are a new creation. We are no longer what we once were. We are now a, a someone who has life 
and light and a child of God who has been reborn, who can live our lives to honor God now, not because of our strength, but because he works within us. That is the truth that we see even in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 19. Because God was working to reconcile us to him, to bring back the right relationship that we so desperately needed. And that then we can bring that to the world around us. Remember, it's the whole idea of light and life. He is the light and life, and he wants us to extend that light and life to the world we live in. So as we think about how John goes back and says, listen, this is, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was Jesus. Not, he didn't, Jesus didn't begin in a, in a stable in a manger. He didn't begin when he was conceived in Mary. Jesus began all the way back at the very beginning before anything was. He created all things. That same God who created all things, who has been here forever, who brings eternal life to his people, who brings light in the darkness, all of that, he, we receive him and we become born again. We have a new life in him. There is a new creation that we, as we come to Christmas, we can celebrate to know that not only did he come to his physical creation, but he came to recreate us. And we need to trust in him and love him and praise him for that. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit more, but let me just say real quickly, how does Jesus create spiritual life? Well, we see it in this verse that I just read. Through Christ, he reconciled to us and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. He is not counting the trespasses against them. In other words, forgiveness can be granted, but it can only be granted through faith, through receiving who Jesus is and believing in his name. We believe in his name, in the fact that Jesus came, he is God himself who came as a baby, lived a perfect life, we can't miss that out because we can't, he did, and then he died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven of sin. As he dies for our sin, takes the punishment that we deserved, then we now can be forgiven because we don't have to be punished any longer. We can come to him and trust in him. But then it didn't stop there. Jesus, is, you know, it says that he brings eternal life. Well, that can't be true if he's dead. But he's not dead because he rose again three days later. He showed that sin, death, none of that has any power over him because he's God himself and now he has conquered that sin and death. And now if we come to him, we can indeed have new real life. That is how he creates a spiritual life in us. So don't think that you can earn this spiritual life by just being good enough or by coming to church enough or uh, especially around Christmas time, you know, singing enough Christmas carols. Like none of that does it. What does it is receiving and believing in the name of Jesus and all that he's done for us, all who he is and what he stands for. That is where we can be reborn, to be born again. So this Christmas, I want to encourage you, make sure that you are born again. As we celebrate the birth of Jesus the baby, Let us also celebrate our rebirth. And if we haven't had that rebirth, then come to Jesus. Ask him to change you from the inside out. Ask him to recreate you because you believe in what he's done and what he will continue to do in you. And that is how we receive him and become children of God, a new creation. But before we end today, I I don't want to just stop there because all that is very true and we could stop there. But I, I want to real briefly just say we also got to understand Not only is Jesus recreating spiritually, but Jesus is the creator of a new, a physical new creation that is still coming. Jesus is the creator of a new world, a new creation. It is coming. Revelation 21, 1 and 5. And no, it's not 4 through 55, as you're going to see in a minute. That was a typo. But Revelation 21, 1, and then we're going to look at verse 5, or 4 and 5. 
Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more, neither there shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. By the way, who wrote the book of Revelation? John, right? So John, who has talked about Jesus, goes back to the first creation. Now in Revelation, John's like, hey, by the way, here comes the second creation, the recreation of the world, the new heavens, the new earth, where there will be no pain, where there will be no tears, where there will be no mourning, no crying, no pain. The former things have all passed away. And what do we see? The one who is seated on the throne, Jesus himself, at the end of all time, is going to say this, behold, I am making all things new. I kind of like that this is also in the present tense because I believe with Jesus right now, even though we see this world spinning down, by the sense that he is recreating us, he has already started this new creation, but it has not; it will not come to fruition until he comes back and sets up his, new, his kingdom that will last forever. But what we do understand is he is the one who makes things new. He is the new creator. And that's what John wants us to understand through Revelation, even through John chapter 1. We understand that Jesus goes all the way back to the beginning. He's going to be here all the way to the end. The Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, it says that in Revelation as well. And so we know that's who Jesus is. So what does this mean for us? If Jesus is the one, the agent of recreation of spiritual life, of us being born again, if Jesus is recreating this world now in one sense, but will one day recreate it completely, how then do we live in light of that? How then do we live in light of that? And so we're going to end our time this morning by saying we should live new lives in light of the new creation Jesus is bringing. If Christ has made us new, then we should live like it. If Christ has made us new, then we should no longer live an old life. Because that is not going to be just, that's not going to show the glory of God to the world around us. It's not going to bring light and life to the world that so desperately needs it. And so how do we live that out? And what I'm going to do here is very simple. Because of time and because I've talked too much anyway, we are going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to go through Ephesians 5 too. And I want to read this. It's going to be on the screen. I want you to think about what Paul is saying as he writes about what it looks like to live the new life that's been newly created. That when we are children of God, what does it look like? And just ask God to show you where it is that you might need some help. Where you need to maybe have some change and you need to lean into him. But as we read this, would you consider what it is that you may need to hear? Ephesians four seventeen through thirty two, uh, and then verse, and we'll look at a couple of verses in chapter five. Follow along. And this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. 
Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. As we end on those words, we are created in the image of God, and in Ephesians 5, 1 it says, Therefore, be imitators of God. We continue to show his image to this world as we are his beloved children. The God we celebrate today, the candle of love, he loves us as his children for those who received him. So let us live as children of the king. Let us live as children of the creator God because that's what we are. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I want to thank you for this morning for the reminder that you've given us of who Jesus is. Thank you for the reminder that as you created the world once, you will create it again. And not only that, Lord, but as you you have created life and light, you even now through Jesus create life and light within our own hearts so that we can share that with the world around us. Would you help us to do that? Would you help us to understand that? Would you help us this Christmas to not just think about you as a baby, but to think about all that you're doing right now and the rebirth that you've given us? Uh, and as we think about the birth of a baby, we think about our rebirth as well. So would you help us to do that? God, we praise you and thank you that you have created this world. We thank you and praise you that you are continuing to uphold it. We thank you and praise you that you have changed and renewed us. And God, would you help us to live in light of that? Would you help us to live the new life that you have given us? Would you help us to be a new creation as you have made us? We want to pray for that this morning. And if there's anyone here that does not know you, that does not understand what it means to be a follower of you, has not been given the new life that they so desperately need, would you bring them to a place where they need to, they know their need and they would come and ask you to become their creator that will recreate them, help continue to recreate us, Lord. We pray all this today in Jesus' name. Amen.